Hello, everybody, and welcome to the TeacherCast Educational Network. My name is Jeff Bradbury. Thank you so much for joining us today and making TeacherCast your home for professional development. This is TeacherCast podcast episode number 186. Today, we're going to be talking all about video and streamable video, and we're going to be sharing some tips and tricks of how you guys can bring video into your classroom. We have three amazing guests today to talk all about how video can be used in your classroom. But before we get to that, I want to remind you guys there's several great things happening on TeacherCast as we head into the winter months. If you're looking to create a podcast, you can go over to educationalpodcasting.today, learn how to make a podcast, work with audio, work with video, create a great website for yourself. And if you're a tech coach out there, there's a lot of great things happening on our network, askthetechcoach.com, where we do our weekly show every single Monday, helping you make the best professional development for your students. I want to bring on today our first guest from a great company called Streamable Learning, Doug Ashton. Doug, how are you today? Welcome to the show. Great. Thanks for having me, Jeff. Glad to be here and glad to bring a couple of guests with me too. I am so glad that you're on the show today. We're talking all about video. You are not a stranger to video. You created an amazing platform called streamablelearning.com. Tell us a little bit about it. Well, we um, came into the space about three years ago and looked around at what was being done with video in the classroom, and we kind of uh, made some adjustments. And what it's doing is it's creating a really scalable, cost-effective way to bring a ton of content into classrooms. Uh, so we're solving kind of two things, which is get that volume of content going, not make it a special event, but really make it an everyday event that's available to teachers, and also really change the cost or the price paradigm to make it really affordable. And those are the two things we're most proud of and what we've accomplished in our short three years. Now, I love the concept of streamable learning, the virtual connections with things. And really what we're going to be talking today about is not just connecting to classrooms, but connecting to museums, connecting to larger educational spots. What can we find on streamable learning? Where are some of the places that you are able to take your kids through no, streamablelearning.com? We can take them to museums, zoos, aquariums, universities, uh, art and historical organizations. We're working a lot in the performing arts area to bring a lot of that to the table. Uh, you're going to see with college and career readiness, we're going to be bringing colleges and corporations to the table. Um, so really, content is not the issue. It's everywhere. It's really organizing it, getting that content ready to do a really quality program and get, get that content into the time frames that the classrooms really needed in, which is 30, 40 minutes tops, to get that content in and then get everybody on their way. And, and today we're going to be talking to two great educators. I want to bring on Martin McGuire from Chicago Public Schools. Martin, welcome to the show. How are you today? I'm fine, thank you, and thank you for having me. It's great to have you here. Tell us a little bit about what's going on in Chicago these days. Well, uh, in Chicago, we, we are about 600 schools, uh, 600 plus schools, and, and somewhere near 400,000 students. Um, so, um, uh, you know, technology, being able to provide something equitably across the district, across all of those schools, is, is always a little bit challenging. Um, the way we used to do things in a district, uh, in terms of um, video conferencing, connecting to uh, to the informal learning institutions that are out there and about um, has, was always difficult and was limited. It was limited to very few schools. So um, within a district of, of 600 schools, we had maybe five that were doing video conferencing and maybe two that were doing it regular, on a regular basis. 
Um, we wanted to change that, and that's when we ran into Doug Ashton and Streamable Learning. And uh, we, um, you know, we, we really liked the model that they put together. Uh, it made it so that video conferencing, uh, which has always been somewhat problematic um, in, in, a, in a school environment, the peripheral the devices that were needed, uh, the setup time to, to get a video conference going, um, streamable learning with their model, uh, they were able to come in and provide us, you know, in year one with over 200 programs that every one of our classrooms across all 600 schools had the option of, of taking part in. Um, so here we are a few years later, and we are probably going to do somewhere just north of 500 programs this uh, in a school year. And um, it's really taken off like uh, wildfires. I, I, you know, just coincidentally, um, we're about to do um, a program uh, with the Mexa Arte Museum, which is in Austin, Texas. And uh, last year, um, when we took uh, advantage of that program, we had over 100 classrooms connected to that single event just in Chicago. Um, we haven't had 100 video conferences done in the two-year span. Uh, so to be able to do you know, 100 classrooms connected to a museum uh, in a single 30-minute presentation was, was uh, really something for us. That that sounds mind blowing and overwhelming all at the same time to to go through six hundred schools to have all of that stuff going on. Um, I, I'm looking forward to hearing more about that uh, throughout the course of our show today. I also want to welcome the virtual field trip coordinator from School District 23 in British Columbia, Canada, Mr. Mark Howick. Mark, how are you today? I'm I'm doing great. Yeah, Jeff. Uh, thanks for having me. How's everything up in Canada these days? Things are great up in Canada. Um, yeah, I'll just basically give you sort of the same kind of story that, that uh, Marty talked about here, but um, we, we come at it kind of from maybe maybe similar perspectives. Our, our district is obviously a lot smaller than the Chicago school district. We have probably a little over 20,000 students in our district and maybe probably around 45 schools, something like that. And we kind of started out running a program, uh, we called it virtual field trips, where we basically connected with museums and zoos, aquariums. And we had a whole bunch of uh, life-size systems, like the we kind of call them the legacy systems now. And uh, we kind of ran around, and we basically couldn't get to everybody. So we sort of transitioned to just you know having a webcam and a microphone in our school that our teacher librarians kind of ran for their school. And so we started doing sessions all over the place. A lot of the sessions in the U.S., Australia, etc. And that's when I sort of um, heard about. Doug's program, the Streamable Learning Program, and I actually went and contacted him because I really liked his model. Uh, it's super easy. Now, our teachers now can, can just simply book their own sessions. They don't necessarily need a lot of help from, from us. Um, and, and it's been great. I mean, the teachers have really been loving it. And we also started a program uh, over the, about the past year um, called Live Learning Canada, where we're basically bringing more and more Canadian content online. Um, some of the museums across Canada and, and different places um, just to kind of add to not just the streamable learning content as a whole, but uh, kind of just Canadian specific content as well. And that's something our teachers are really looking for. All of the links that we're going to be talking about today are going to be in our show notes over at teachercast.net. Of course, this is the TeacherCast podcast, episode number 186. You know, guys, as we get into these different topics here, you know, 
we're in the middle of our school year. Why is it important that teachers are bringing video into the classrooms? With so many things going on, why video? Mark, what do you, what do you think? Yeah, I mean, for us, it's always been one of those things where, um, I mean, we want to get the kids out for actual field trips. And, and, you know, we're not obviously against that. It's become so expensive. I mean, even to take the kids locally, you need a school bus, you need to go. There's, there's costs, the museum and stuff like that. Um, we just find we can take kids to, you know, quite frankly, more exciting places, um, have them talk with scientists, talk with authors. A lot of these things they, they would never really be able to do. And, uh, you know, it's, it's really cost effective as well. So it's kind of taking, those ki taking your kids, um, you know, to places that they're learning about or people that they're actually, you know, studying and being able to talk to a lot of these people and, and go to a lot of these places, um, kind of the next best thing to uh, actually, you know, going there in person. And Martin, do you find that, you know, with all the students that you're working with every day, is that do you echo that same thing if it's just easier to do it through a, a TV screen versus getting on a bus? Well, absolutely. While we're, again, you know, we're not against field trips, uh, actual field trips in Chicago either with all the great institutions that we have in and around Chicago, but it is incredibly costly. Um, it, if it does happen, it may happen one, one time, maybe two times a year uh, if students are lucky. And um, uh, it certainly is limited to the institutions that they're able to visit. With streamable learning, we're, we're visiting institutions from all across the country. And, and why use video in the classroom? Well, you know, in Chicago, um, and as I'm sure it's the same in everywhere else, is it's the ability to kind of bridge the formal and informal learning institutions together. And it's about bringing subject matter experts directly into the classroom. And, um, you know, the timing for these things are perfect, the length of time, uh, you, you can actually um, uh, complete one of these virtual field trips in anywhere from 30 to 40 minutes. And um, it's really uh, it's been a huge hit in Chicago. So as we go through here, Doug, everybody out there might have the same question, which is how do you do this, right? I'm in an iPad school, I'm in a Chromebook school, I'm in a Windows school, I'm in a BYOD school. If we're looking to bring in virtual field trips, if we're looking to really get into video, what do we need to have in our classrooms to be successful? Well, I mean, that's, that's why circa 2018, the time is right for this type of approach because most of the schools now have the basic capabilities to run streaming into their classrooms, whether it's a whiteboard, a monitor. You just need one device, that phone, that tablet, that computer that's connected to the monitor, and you're, you're in great shape um, to, to get going. The internet, obviously, faster, better. And we, look, we use Zoom technology. Zoom is a great partner for our company. Zoom has really changed the game in video. They've dropped the costs of what's required on both sides. Um, you know, so many aspects of video, the costs have just dropped out of it. An important part of this is on the content side. You know, we've been talking a lot about the schools, but think about the content providers. In the old days, if you were going to get into this game, you had to kind of commit to a full distance learning program. And that was a lot of money. You might have to go out to your donors. Um, now, with different approaches and the cost of video, a lot of our sites do not want to be in the full distance learning game with full time, you know, et cetera, but they want to participate. And so today's technology, the way we're doing things, allows them to come in and do a day or two a year, which is all they want to do, all they're capable of doing, but also be part of the content, you know, the educational content community. 
Um, and when you're streaming, you don't have to worry about the camera and the other things on that side, uh, which really I do have to comment based on, you know, all the things we talked about, which is there is a huge role for video conferencing. Marty and Mark and I talk about it all the time. That one-on-one -on -one premium experience with a classroom is an amazing kind of premium opportunity. Uh, what we're doing with streaming is really trying to create the basic model. Here's how you start to learn how to work with video, live video in the classroom. And as more teachers experience it, which most have not, as more do, you're more likely to see um, people asking for those premium experiences. And that's the, that's the, the match we're trying to, to create. We're trying to drive people to use that, that live streaming see what it can be, and then migrate into some premium experience as well. Now, Martin, when you're working with all your students and in your 600 schools, how do you organize things here? Do you find one program and then run at times, as you said, maybe 100 classrooms? Or do you give them a menu of things? How does it work in your district? Well, uh, working with streamable learning, we're able to actually provide the district at the start of the school year with a full year calendar of events and activities that are going to be going on. And we allow them to actually start registering is that the first day that they, they start at the, uh, the end of the summer, the teachers come in, the catalog events is ready and they can go in and start planning out their school year and determining what, what um, uh, virtual field trips they want to take uh, using streamable learning. Uh, most of the programs uh, are done anywhere from uh, two, three, sometimes four times in a day. Um, there are uh, even opportunities now where we've done, uh, we've had programs from streamable in other languages and in Spanish, uh, a recent one that we did uh, in Spanish. So now they're starting to actually provide um, programming in other languages. Um, so it's, it's, uh, it, the options are there for teachers. Um, we have over a hundred different museums that we have access to as part of the streamable learning um, catalog of, of events and um, over 500 different programs for teachers to choose from. So, so just so we're clear about this, when we're talking about these programs and these events, are these live events, uh, Doug, or are these pre-recorded events that people can do at their, at their pleasure here? Well, we use, like to use the phrase live and interactive. So okay. we're live, uh, puts pressure on the performance, right? Weather pressure, network pressure. Uh, we did a program yesterday with a local author from our office, Jonathan Miller and his Sammy the Dog books. He's an illustrator and an author. He does a wonderful job um, with programs. Mark's district and Chicago were both involved in the program. Our power in our office went out 15 minutes before the program. <laughs> um, but luckily, we plugged a uh, lighter uh, into a device and that's, we basically powered the whole program from our IT guy's truck. Wow. Um, and so there's a lot that goes in with live, but we don't like scripted programs. We want it to be kind of feel spontaneous. And then there's the interactive side, which is really 90% of it, which is the ability to ask questions, have your classroom be recognized. You know, here this question's coming in for, from uh, Central Okanagan. It's coming in from Chicago Public Schools. And the question is dealt with in a live, you know, manner. Um, we have some math programs that we started this year from South Africa, where um, we've started using some other applications in the program. So the, pro the content provider can see the kids drawing and doing their equation and, and reacting to different um, answers that they're coming up with. 
So everything is about live and interactive, but we do record the programs and they are available for recording. Um, and that's also important, particularly for middle school, high school, where there may be some classes that can't attend the live. Um, I'll give you another example too, a little hybrid model we just started last month, which is to create a recorded program, but then have live Q&A available. We did that with Tom Thielen, uh, who's one of the best um, anti-bullying presenters in the country. And so he did recorded episodes this summer, and then we hold live Q&A sessions. So yeah, really neat stuff. We're, we're still in the early days. We're playing around with things, trying new things. Uh, but it is live and interactive is our bumper sticker. So, so Doug, what does this look like from the content producer side? Like, for instance, if I was walking my family through a museum in New York, am I going to see somebody who works at the museum, maybe standing in front of a dinosaur, holding an iPad, talking to students? Like, what does it look like from the museum's end? So for most of our programs, these are done specifically for us. So okay. they're in a, they can be in a studio, they can be in a section of the museum that's cordoned off for 30 or 40 minutes. Um, that's, that's generally how it works. Um, however, um, if you came to our Hemingway house, you know, historic tour and talk about the life of Hemingway, Dave Gonzalez, who's been the curator there um, down in Key West for many years, um, he walks around the house with an iPhone and gives his knowledge you know to our classrooms but he's also walking around and there's tourists around and the six-toed cats are there and you know so that's a different type of program um so you, you see a few different models we actually recently started experimenting with programs where there is a live audience there as well mm -hmm. um, so there's different models but i would say for the most part most of our programs are being done specifically for um for us for our classrooms Nice. So let's, let's kind of shift things a little bit here because I, I want to talk about all different kinds of video and many teachers are getting into using, the, you know, streamable video, recorded video, using YouTube for videos. I, I want to ask Mark and Martin here about what their students are doing. Is it important? Is it important for students to be creating their own videos for their own uses? Martin, what do you think? Uh, I, I would say I would say yes. I, you know, I, in, in Chicago, um, they're using all of those different things. They're using, we're using streamable learning. We're we're bringing subject matter experts into the classroom. Teachers are using uh, digital content from publishers, or all, all different publishers. Anybody you can think of, uh, Schlesinger, Scholastic, Disney. Um, uh, we have teachers that are using YouTube and uh, in the classroom, um, and, and our students are are. are using a lot of that same video um so uh, it, it is very important is when it comes to the creation of of uh, items of digital resources mm -hmm. um, we're starting to see that in chicago as well and uh, they do everything from podcasts they're doing daily news announcements in their schools um they're uh, per, uh, when you create their portfolio they're uh including videos into their student portfolios as as evidence of work that they've they've completed so i would say yes is very important and, and when we're looking at these videos, Mark, I want to get, get, get your opinion on this with students of all ages. Where do you encourage students or where should we be encouraging students to put these videos? Are we encouraging kids to get their own YouTube channels and pop them up? Are we saying just use one, one drive, Google Drive, whatever drive? Where is the best place for students to put, your, put their videos so that way they're safe? 
So that way there's teachers have access to it. What can we do with these things? We're talking a lot of content here for kids. Yeah, I mean, just from our perspective, I, I can kind of echo some of the, the comments that uh, Marty made. Um, we've got all kinds of things happening in schools. Kids are, are producing videos. There's newscasts. There's all kinds of, um, you know, different applications. Um, even in VR, I mean, the kids are even um, creating their own VR um, video and, and environments and all that kind of stuff. Now, I'm not sure if there's an easy answer to that one, Jeff, like where do you store this stuff? I know some of our, our, our kids, some of our schools are, are, are heavy into the Google classroom. Um, you know, they're, they're uploading video. They, they have YouTube channels, all this kind of stuff. We don't really have a cohesive um, sort of, uh, you know, reasoning behind, um, you know, where do you put all this video? Like, that's a great question. Uh, we also kind of run into some of the issues, um, our own sort of district and uh, Ministry of Education in British Columbia has issues with video that's stored in the U.S. due mm. to some of our privacy laws and stuff like that. So these are, these are issues that we're all really wrestling with. I mean, I, I could just say uh, in terms of popularity, you know, YouTube and, and, and Google Classroom and, and the like is, is definitely the most popular right now. And we're, I can, we're, I can also using, uh, we're also using Google uh, in Chicago. We use Google Classrooms. Uh, as far as uh, Google Classroom, we have uh, Google Drive for all of our teachers and for our students. Um, we, are, um, also, we also have a learning object repository where students and teachers can upload uh, videos and store those videos and share those videos across the district Accept, make them accessible within our network and at home. Uh, so th that's that's another way of of, of um, um, storing and, and sharing resources. And, and just to echo what Mark and Marty are saying, there is no right answer, but maybe you have one of your own. We'd love to hear from you. You can, of course, find us on Twitter at TeacherCast. Leave us a voicemail over at TeacherCast.net slash voicemail. Or, of course, if you want to be a part of our show, you can always email us over at feedback at TeacherCast.net. And we would love to know. I mean, today, guys, I was talking to our film teacher at school, and we were trying to set up the new YouTube channel for the film club. And we're just sitting here talking about things and we're sitting here realizing why are we taking the time to upload all of these student videos? Some might be good, some might be not, some might be just, you know, average work. When you could really put them all into Google Drive, stick them on a Google site, and there you've got everything and you're still under the security of your domain, you're under the security of no one's gonna look for it on YouTube, and you're saving yourself literally hours because you don't have to worry about uploading things. There's a lot of answers. Guys, we want to hear from you guys. If you're out there listening, and we want to know what you guys are thinking. Where do you store your, your files? How do you grade your files? I think that's also a good question that we can ask you guys. And what kind of projects are your students doing out there? We want to know about you guys. And of course, we're here talking to Doug Ashton from Streamable Learning. Now, Doug, if you're a content provider, let's say that you're listening to this show and you are a museum. How does somebody reach out to you and say, I want to be a part of the system. I want to provide great content to school districts like Marks and Martins. Well, that, that's a big part of what we do, which is we spend time with folks, getting them ready to do their programs. Um, I have a museum coming up uh, in the next few days where we've done seven or eight test sessions with them. We've taken them from never having done this before to getting them ready to do their first programs. So, you know, it's uh, our, our big goal is to get people past their first program because once they've done their first program, their own lights go off, they start to think about it, they really kind of self-evaluate what they can do differently. But um, it's really not that hard. 
and um, you know the technology has made it easier but but um, you know we try to encourage everybody to get get started get going because even outside of what we're doing at our company and you know, with districts like Mark and Marty's these organizations need to start embracing video as part of their overall mission so while we'll hire a videographer and pay for a videographer to capture the audio and video at a, at a first timer or even a second, third or fourth timer who just doesn't want to deal with it, our goal is to make them self-sufficient so that they can do this outside of our platform for, for other audiences or whatever it may be. So um, it's, it's, we've never failed to get somebody up and running to do a program. Uh, sometimes it's, it takes a lot of creativity. Uh, Marty uh, and Chicago brought us the Ocean Lab, which did our underwater shark, great white shark programs off the coast of Mexico. Um, I remember Marty testing with them in an underwater swimming pool to see how we can make this work. So we, we have um, some crazy anecdotes like that. But by and large, it's really easy to get going. And then it, what I'm seeing is a race to the top. As people see what other people are doing, they want to do it like them. And it's making everybody better, which in the end means the average program is going to be terrific. And, you know, for a museum or somebody who's, you know, who's a scientist or something, it's got to be difficult creating those first lessons, coming up with the lesson plans. Now, Mark, I know you deal with a lot of teachers up there in Canada. When it comes to the teachers creating lessons around the videos... What advice do you have for somebody out there who wants to try this? Maybe they want to do a virtual field trip. Maybe they just want to have their kids make their podcast. What advice do you have for teachers as far as just creating that first lesson? Yeah, basically, I mean, for, for the stuff that we do um, with streamable learning and we do a whole bunch of other kind of virtual field trips with, with providers from all over the place, um, streamable learning has been, been a really great place for teachers to start. But as a general rule, um, you don't just kind of throw the video onto you know your smart board or your projector or whatever it is and and the kids kind of you know sit there and go oh who is this person for most of these and i kind of tell this when i sort of do our training sessions with our, our teacher librarians that run the program in all of our schools you need to do some research with who are you talking to why are you talking to them how does it fit into your unit or your the area that you're studying all this kind of stuff makes it much, much more meaningful for the kids. Um, and it's almost a little bit like, um, you know, they're talking to a celebrity because they know a bunch about this presenter. Um, they know where they're presenting from. And it's, you know, there's a, there's a little bit of that. And it's, uh, it's a pretty meaningful experience um, for our students. Martin, what do you think when you're working with teachers and they, they might want to do this, but not quite know how to do this? Right. How do you, you know, get them over that hump? Well, I, I think one of the great things about the streamable learning content is that there are so, there's so much of the content that's built in and around the observance calendar. Um, so that, uh, for example, uh, uh, you know, in January around Martin Luther King's birthday, uh, we'll have some programs uh, for that for um, a Black History Month, for example, or Women's History Month. Um, so that it really kind of gives teachers, and the programs are so kind of, uh, are short enough that teachers can actually get in, audit a, a, an event, see if they like it, um, uh, if they like the experience, and then try it out in their classroom. Uh, a lot of the events that uh, that are done come with pre and post materials, um, so so teachers have activities they can do prior to an event or after an event, 
And uh, it's, it's so it, it, a lot of it is kind of um, um, worked out for the teachers. Well, it's an important point, too, because, um, look, when, you know, you're teaching, let's say you're teaching grades three and eight Civil War history in the U.S., or you're, you're teaching something about First Nations in, in Canada, um, there are certain times that the districts are going to be covering that material, and there are certain times they're not. And if they're not, they're most likely not going to attend the program, which is why it takes so many programs. You, to order to offer an effective um, live streaming calendar to schools, you have to do many, many, many events. You have to offer them multiple times in order to create that match. Because in the end, what are we aiming for? We're aiming for supplemental curriculum, not one-off events. And so like working with our local district here in Charleston County, South Carolina, we spoke with them last month and said, when are you, you know, teaching Civil War? They're teaching it in December. We developed a custom Civil War program for them in the, in the month of December when they're covering the topic with a South Carolina-based site. Now, those, those programs are available to all our subscribers, but we know they're going to have a great fit with Charleston County. Uh, another example is in, let, let's call it marine science. Um, we offer a marine science program with a great center like Alaska Sea Life, Ocean Wise, Moat Marine, Seco Science Center, um, all these different places that we work with. Um, we offer a marine science program every month. Uh, our animal encounter series is very popular. Instead of putting all the programs in World Wildlife Week, we offer our animal encounter of the month. Um, so we're trying to make sure that we touch, um, you know, that curriculum the best we can. We work with our districts trying to learn their pacing and their sequencing. But at some level, it's a volume game. You have to offer enough programs to create the match for, the, for that district. Now, one of the things that you guys had mentioned earlier is that a lot of schools are moving into augmented and virtual reality. What do you guys know about this? Because I hear this topic a lot. We've done a few shows on it. Is this the time of year? As we're moving into 2019, are a lot of schools really embracing AR and VR? And if so, how? Well, I, I can tell you that, you know, we had a long call with a VR company the other day. And our first step is to do some of our programs using those kind of fancy cameras to get the capture and to understand how the audio and video worked and how it looked. Um, you know, but I, I always come back to, uh, we, we don't try to be anything more than we are. Mm -hmm. uh, we'll leave VR to others. We're trying to create that basic platform of scalable programming that's cost effective, that introduces people to video from the school side and from the content side. Um, that's, that's our lot in life, uh, th and that's where we like to be. Uh, I think as a longtime technology person, in different roles in my life. Um, the media loves to get ahead of the curve and get ahead of the reality. And so um, virtual reality creates a lot of great, you know, like kind of um, anecdotes, but in terms of scaling it, making it cost effective, and as both Marty and Mark have talked about, making it universal through a district, we are nowhere near that. Mm -hmm. And so when you really go into a classroom today, getting basic video programming available every day that schools can afford and use, that's a tall enough task. We don't really want the other tasks right now. Martin, what are you seeing in Chicago? Are, are, are teachers starting to get into VR, AR? 
you know, it, it, uh, I haven't seen a lot of it in Chicago. I know that there's been a couple of, of pilots that have popped up here and there. But it just as Doug mentioned, you know, um, it, it's about uh, what a school can afford to do. Um, and something that they can truly integrate into their into their classroom, and um, is it scalable? Is it something that we can do uh, in just a, a, a certain number of schools that are, are privileged enough to have that opportunity? We look for actual programs that we're going to be able to distribute equitably across the district, and we want to make sure that every school has the opportunity to take advantage of of video in the classroom. And in the case of what we're doing with trainable learning, that's exactly what we've given them. Mark, is AR and VR made it by after Canada? Yeah, we, we've actually been running uh, like a VR program just the last couple of years, and it's something that I manage as well. Um, we've just been using Google Expeditions, though. Oh, okay. I find that, and, and we haven't. There are some teachers that are that are playing around with AR. Um, I know for our expeditions, we have a, a, one of the expedition kits. It's kind of thirty units. Um, the kids love it. It's great to be able to take them to a place where they can look around and you can lead them on, on expeditions and such. But uh, logistically, it's difficult. It's difficult to get all the devices charged. Right. Uh, I mean, the, in, in this case, the technology is simple. It's logistical issues of getting everything charged and distributed to kids and the headsets and all that kind of stuff. So uh, I think it's something on the horizon and I also just wanted to mention, um, there's a program called Exploring by the Seat of Your Pants. It's run by a teacher in Ontario. Uh, his name is Joe Grabowski. And uh, he, he basically does a free program. He also, he's also does work with the National Geographic and that where he connects to scientists. He runs 40, 50 plus sessions per month con connecting with explorers, adventurers. A lot of them are, are National Geographic people. Um, talking to him last year, on the horizon, he's thinking possibly in 2019, he may have, may start doing um, a pilot, like a session or two, where it's going to be like a live streaming VR session where the kids can put on a headset and actually go through, you know, a place of interest. Um, that, so that's something that's exciting. We, we haven't really seen it yet, but, but it is on the horizon. We're, we're not quite yet, there yet, obviously, so. I would say definitely check that out. We just added the link there to our show notes. You can, of course, find it over at exploringbytheseat.com, exploringbytheseat.com. I got to check these things out. This looks pretty darn cool. Thank you for mentioning that. You know, guys, as we wrap up here, the question always comes is, what is next, right? And, you know, Doug and I were talking about the ISTE conference. We're right on the corner here of turning into ISTE season as, as we, you know, come into this, to the new school year here. What does the future look like? You know, Martin, when you're looking at the future of 600 schools, what'd you say, a million students, something like, like, what do you guys see as the future of the classroom? I'll ask that as a general term. And then where does video fit in? Video conferencing, video streaming, video learning, video creating. What does that future look like for, for students five years well, down? Know, in Chicago, I think, you know, what, the next big uh, thing for us to tackle is a, a universal curriculum here in the district. Hmm. Um, and then once we have that in place, it's going to be a lot easier to work with uh, uh, incorporating video, whether it be video on demand uh, as, uh, as support resources for what's being taught in the classroom. Um, again, being able to bridge to um, subject matter experts at museums from across the country using streamable learning. Um, again, using streamable learning to do um, 
video uh, into uh, video conferences. So we think of the streaming um, programs that are taking place as, as kind of phase one, phase two being video conferences uh, that can be taken advantage of. And then, um, of, of course, allowing students to create their own re um, resources, digital resources, uh, and being able to, to, to store those and, and share them within their district. Mark, what do you see? Is, is education in Canada so different from education in Chicago? I don't think so. I mean, we, we participate in a lot of sessions across the U.S. Our, our teachers love, I mean, they love sessions. Um, most of the stuff that, that we do is applicable in our curriculum. Our, our curriculum just changed in British Columbia, and, it, and it's changing in a lot of our provinces. It's, it's a little bit more open-ended. Um, they have the kind of big picture questions, and the teachers have more freedom now to sort of um, figure out ways to get to these sort of big picture, these big ideas. Um, universally, and I've talked with people all across the country, all across the world, um, we're, we're learning a lot of the same things, and we're, and we're all struggling with kind of how to get there, how best to get there. I, I really think video um, is one of those things that it never really gets old. It's one of these things that's so engaging with students, and, uh, you know, it's, it's definitely something that we're going to continue to use for a long, long time, so... We're, we're excited about any type of connections that we can do with kids over video. So I, I love it. And if you guys have any questions out there for anybody on our panelists, you can, of course, reach out to us over here on TeacherCast. We are definitely going to be doing more shows on video, video conferencing, streamable conferencing in the near future. Guys, I want to say thank you so much for your time today. Uh, Mark, where can we find out more information about the great things that you're doing up in British Columbia? Uh, we have a website. It's uh, it's actually vft23.weebly.com. Sure, if you get that in your in your show notes, but uh, we have a list of resources that we sort of start our teacher librarians on. It's probably a list of about fifty resources uh, from across the world. That is a really good starting place if you want to uh, do virtual field trips. Streamable Learning's on there. Live Learning Canada, of course, and a whole bunch of others. Many are free. Some are pay. Uh, but it's a really great place to start if you're interested in, 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 you know, doing video connections and collaborations in the classroom. Nice. And Martin, where do we find out more about the great work you're doing? Uh, well, uh, for Chicago, um, you can you can also visit our website at cps.edu. Um, and, uh, you know, I guess the, what we're working on right now um, the most is, is um, being able to scale our, our streamable learning program to the rest of the district. Um, so uh, those are the things we're working on. Very nice. Doug, you know, the conversation here around video is so important. It's so easy. It's cost effective. It doesn't matter what platform you have. Teachers can bring video projects of any kind into their classroom. So I'm going to end here with the question for you of how does a school district get connected with streamable learning to get their kids engaged? Well, you know, contact us, www.streamablelearning.com. We work on custom pilots for districts. We believe in long-term, you know, long pilot programs for districts because we know it takes time to get teachers going and experience something. So we're pretty generous with our pilot programs um, to make sure that you've had the time to evaluate what we're doing. Um, in Canada, we're Live Learning Canada. Uh, we've got a lot of specific Canadian content coming for Canadian schools. Same type of thing. Get started. We'll help you work with some pilot programs uh, and the like to get you going. Uh, so, you know, we're, we're pretty patient. We're here for the long term. We know this can be new. 
So we want to work with districts, make sure that, you know, uh, you've had the time to really experience and, and look at, um, you know, the, how video can play a role in your school. Let me just say one thing in parting, too, is um, both Mark and Marty have been integral through them, their own personal work, but their districts, in really designing the service. So we don't kind of come to the market and say, here's what we've got. We work with a lot of our districts to go out and get the content. Tell us what you want. We'll go find it. Uh, I've been doing that even during the last few weeks. One of our states that has gotten very active, we're soliciting content partners in that state that, that, that those state schools really care about. So the easiest way for me to get content is when I have a, a district that's local or in-state and, and the museum cares about that district and vice versa. We build a lot of our content that way. So we'll also go hunt down content for a district that, you know, um, has some special interests. Uh, like I talked about earlier with Charleston County and setting up a Civil War month for them in December. Um, so there's, uh, it benefits everybody. So, you know, that's how we approach things. So if you're in Canada, it's Live Learning Canada, um, .ca. And if it's in the U.S., it's streamablelearning.com. Uh, very, very nice. Guys, one more time, thank you so much for being here and being a, a co-host on our show tonight. And thank you guys out there for taking the time to make TeacherCast your home for professional development. Of course, we have nine great shows for you on iTunes each and every week, bringing you live content. And you can join us over on our TeacherCast Insiders program and get exclusive content by going to teachercast.net. And on behalf of everybody here in the TeacherCast Educational Network, my name is Jeff Bradbury, reminding you to keep up the great work in your classrooms and continue sharing your passion passions with your students.